On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Vivian Bonfim, and she's got a special perspective on teaching. She's currently teaching in New York, but she is in Brazil. She's taught there and in Portugal. So I'd really like to go over just the state of art of teaching and around the world, how that's been affected by COVID and the quarantine, and what she sees about the future of teaching in this country. So welcome to the show, Vivian. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. You know, there's nothing more important than being a teacher, but it's been really challenging this past year. What would you say is the most challenging thing for you during this quarantine? Uh, I would say to bring a full curriculum that it's taught in a classroom, uh, seeing a child daily on a daily basis and bring that whole curriculum to um remote teaching and remote learning. That was the one thing that we struggled a lot at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And what was the good part about that? I know different students learn differently and at different paces. Do you think learning remotely has given certain students maybe a, a chance to go a little faster than they could before? What have you just seen in the pace of students now? Uh, I believe students became a lot more independent now because they didn't have their teacher in the classroom supporting them eight hours a day. So they learned how to be a lot more independent with their with their tasks. And as you said, they are working very, very fast now because they're given less time to complete their tasks and tests. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, I want to get into that, you know, more as we go along. Uh, I'm curious, just to let people know, you know, you're from Brazil. Uh, what city in Brazil are you from? I'm from Rio de Janeiro. Oh, nice. So uh, when did you move over to the U.S.? I moved, though, I moved to the U.S. six years ago to New York City, and this is where I live now. Okay. And along the way, it sounds like you also taught in Portugal? Yeah, I'm half Portuguese. My mom is Portuguese, so I have a dual citizenship. So I basically grew up um, in Portugal and Brazil, and I taught in Portugal for three years before that. Okay. Now, what parts of Portugal did you teach in? Uh, In the south of Lisbon, in Lisbon. Okay. Excellent. I know, I don't know. Uh, Portugal is such a great country. I think a lot of people uh, were paying more attention to it when Madonna moved there a few years ago. <laughs> That's true. Madonna moved to Lisbon <laughs> a few years ago. Did you did you ever have any Madonna sightings out there? No, no. She she lived in a big mansion in a in a separate neighborhood, only for the super rich. Oh, I can only imagine the security there. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. N- well, it is, you know, so interesting to, you know, get your perspective, you know, growing up in both Brazil and Portugal. When you came to the U.S. and started teaching here, what was the biggest difference you noticed with the students in New York? Um. Well, both Rio and Lisbon are big cities, but they're not as big as New York City. So I was working in, in Brazil. I worked in a, in a private school and in Portugal in a public school. But here in New York, I work with, with the, kiddies that are, the kids that are from Manhattan, from the city itself. So I would notice um, 
the different upbringings and the different cultures that my students would bring to the class and that certainly impacted their learning as well and the fact that most families they were working families and they didn't have a stay-at-home mom for example and they used to stay they stay during the day throughout the day in school and they do everything in the school so this is something that i noticed that's different from portugal brazil and the u.s mm-hmm the longer and hours the longer hours because their, their parents are both working well do you mm-hmm. think that students sometimes miss out a little bit like when they have to um i don't know i mean do parents even help their kids with homework anymore uh well i would say there are families that are very supportive and that in that matter and other families they need support from the school so that's why nowadays we have a longer hour so that the teacher can work with the students with homework and extra support and new york city is very good for that because we are we always give extra support to students that families that need that require that at home well when the parents come in for a parent teacher conference what are their main Mm -hmm. concerns for their their children nowadays uh, yeah, nowadays during COVID, our parent-teacher conferences were on on Zoom, and their major concern is that what the kids are missing out on their curriculum. They feel like the kids are not learning properly or uh, remotely, and it's just a different learning, and it's a different pace for each child, as we said, uh, and they're most concerned at how much they're going to miss by staying at home and learning remotely. Mm-hmm. Now, and by the way, uh, what grades do you teach? I teach elementary school. I teach second grade. Oh, nice. That's a great age. And at that age, you know, part of school, it's not just learning, but it's socializing. And, you know, with social media, we always hear, oh, kids are, are more isolated. They're not seeing each other in person as much. With COVID and remote learning, you know, even more so, I mean, do you think kids this last year have really missed out on just being able to play at recess together and just, you know, be around kids their own age? Exactly. I think they, and they would verbalize it to me. They would often ask, oh, Ms. Bonfin, can we get a five-minute break so we can talk amongst each other? So they would chat on Zoom, and I would tell them, okay, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close my, my video so you can start talking amongst yourselves, but remember that I'm here. So they would often say, oh, I miss my friends. I miss going to music class. I miss going to arts class. This is something that kids miss, too, especially at that age, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think with, you know, some restrictions, you know, opening up now, kids are able to this summer, you know, for the first time, actually just, you know, go to the beach, go outside, play with other kids, and just, you know, get physical. I mean, are you seeing Mm -hmm. that kids just aren't having enough physical activity this past year? Um, I've been seeing this now. Um, I've seen that camps are back in New York City. And I see that families are now bringing their kids to playgrounds. And kids are starting to socialize more now than in the past year. Um, mm-hmm. And we have, I feel like we have a brighter future ahead 
for the next school year, I believe we're going back into the building for five days. So kids will be able to see each other every day for, you know, for the for longer hours. And I think that will bring back that to them. Mm-hmm. Because when you talk about just, you know, the mental health of everyone, not just kids, but when we're not able to, you know, exercise, you know, get out and ride a bike, you know, get out of the house and just, you know, be physical, it's really hard on us mentally. And and I think sometimes we kind of forget that with kids. But but are you, are you conscious of that when kids can't just have that free time to be themselves? Yeah, we are very aware of that. And we're planning on giving our kids, when, as soon as we get back in September, uh, longer breaks where they can move around the classroom and go outside and play as a group, not only individually because they've been playing individually a lot since last year. So they're going to be going back into playing with a group in, in, in a group form, which is awesome for them to develop also their socializing skills. You know, in the second grade, what kind of um, electronics are they allowed to have in the classroom? I mean, I'm assuming they can't have phones while you're teaching. Are, are they are they all on laptops in the second grade now? They're all on Chromebooks. Yeah, it's basically laptops and tablets. We use tablets a lot. And a lot of my kids, I would say most of my kids already had laptops or uh, tablets at home. So when it came down to actually going into remote teaching and remote learning for them, we had to adjust to that for them, but most of them already knew how to do it. It was really nice to see how kids nowadays, kids that are growing up in 2020, they know how to work with technology and they don't really require much help. Mm-hmm. And are you finding when you're teaching something, are they at the same time are they online? Are they Googling what you're teaching them? Are they looking at side articles? They are. They usually are. They they follow the rules, and they know that they are given time to research a topic. They love researching, and they love uh, writing about it, too. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what are your favorite subjects to teach? I love math. Math is my favorite subject to teach. Mm-hmm. And in the second grade, that's when they're finally getting from addition, they're, they're learning uh, multiplication and division for the first time, right around then? Um, well, they're starting to. We're giving them the, the basics of multiplication and division, but not, they don't really know that as multiplication and division. We give them problems where they can split a number, let's say, a number of apples into um, into a certain amount of kids, and then now they know they're dividing that big number of apples, uh, giving apples the same amount of apples to five kids, and you have 20 apples. How many apples will each kid have? So we are giving them the basics of division and multiplication, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, say, in, you know, in the past few years, how has the curriculum changed since everything is becoming so technical? I mean, it seems like math is very important, but are there other subjects that maybe aren't being stressed as enough? Um, well, the focus right now in New York City is reading and writing. Uh, mm-hmm. We are pushing our kids into reading a lot more, into writing a lot more. 
the curriculum of reading and writing in New York is very strong. And the city also, the educational system in New York is also working on getting the math curriculum very strong. But I would say right now the focus is reading and writing. And I believe in the next years, I can see a huge comeback of social studies, uh, especially because of the situation we've been going through now. We will need history and geography as well, and also a very strong curriculum of science. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you seeing with, with the second graders that you teach? What do they already come with, like say before they're entering school now, since they do have access to the internet? Are they learning a lot of things on their own, even at that age? Um, yeah, I would say when a child is seven years old, they, they're most likely work as an sponge. They absorb every, every information that we give to them. And they're so ready to learn. And they come with their eyes really open. And one thing that we've been trying with the kids in the class is to make them very open-minded. So anything that we want to teach them, they're so eager to learn. They're very happy. And they're very curious as well. So curiosity is something that they bring to the class, and this is something that's very helpful to them when they're learning. Mm-hmm. Now, do they take an interest in your culture? Like I know you, you speak several languages. You know, you probably have some fun stories to tell of Brazil and Portugal. How much of that do you get to weave into your classroom? They do get interested in my culture, as I do get interested in their culture, too. Uh, teaching in New York City is also like teaching a lot of the kids from different parts of the world. Uh, there are kids in my class that their families come from Africa or from Asia or from Europe, and I come from South America. So we have – well, I usually, I usually uh, read books to my kids about my culture, and I also ask them to share about their culture, too. So we have always, like, an international festival in the class. Mm-hmm. And what surprises them most about your culture? Um, I think I'm very open-minded. Um, and when I came to New York, I came to teach different cultures and get to know a different country and learn a new language and speak a new language on on a daily basis. And I think from my culture, uh, the open-mindedness is something that calls attention um, in terms of practical things. I love the food. The food is also something that people love about my country and the music. Mm-hmm. Now, what are all the languages that you speak? Well, I basically speak English, Portuguese, and some Spanish. And some Spanish. Because I've heard that it's much easier to learn a foreign language when you're young, especially before puberty. Mm-hmm. And and it just seems like um, we, we don't have enough of those programs at the elementary school level. Is that something in New York where they do have that offered, whether it's like an after-school program now, how, how, how can someone at that age, if they really want to, say, learn mm-hmm. Portuguese, how could they start that at seven years old? Uh, most pub- public schools in New York, the second language is, is Spanish. And I would say that it's because there's a huge Spanish-speaking population in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I would say that Spanish is the second language. And most public schools, they do have Spanish classes for kids. 
And I'm, I know for a fact that when they get to middle school or even high school, they are given extra languages that they can choose as a second language. But like you said, it's much easier for a child to learn a second or third language when they are five, six, or seven. And with my kids, their backgrounds are different. They have families that are from um, Puerto Rico or their families from Dominican Republic. So they already speak a second language at home. Technically, they speak a, a first language at home, and English becomes their second language. Mm-hmm. And within the school, um, what's the first grade they can take, like, say, a formal class in Spanish? First grade. First grade. Oh, so as early as first grade there in New York. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's first grade. Because mm-hmm. we hear about, oh, you need to learn technology and science to, you know, compete in the world. But, you know, they say learning a, another language, you know, makes you so competitive in the job market. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. think about that almost too late, you know, right before college. Oh, I better do a language. But don't you think in the future we're all going to have to learn, you know, more than one language very early in life? Yes, I I would say that, and I, I would advocate for that. I learned how to speak English at a very early very early on um, I actually lived in the States when I was a child with my family that's where I learned how to speak English so yes I would say so in the future it will be a kind of a well a thing for kids to learn a second language when they're very young mm-hmm. well it seems like travel was important to your parents is it something where you just knew early on you were going to travel in life or maybe you know, live in a different country at some point? It was something that I always thought about, and it became a reality when I when I got an opportunity to get a job and come teach in New York City. But it is something that is in our blood. We always traveled. Uh, I've been to a lot of countries with my families and by myself and with friends. Yes, it's something that was always, it was something that I always thought about. Well, you seem very confident, but when you first came to New York, you know, the the first day you taught there, uh, were you at all apprehensive? Yes, I was very apprehensive. It was, everything was new. The city was a new place, um, a different work environment, uh, new kids, and new culture. Yes, I was very apprehensive. I didn't know what to expect. But the good thing about it is because I came very open and I was just like, oh, whatever brings me, it will be a joy. Mm-hmm. And is there a distinct Brazilian community in New York? Yes, there is. Yes, there is a community, in Braz- uh, a Brazilian community in New York. It's in Queens, New York. Um, they're, they're mostly located in Astoria, Queens. And it's a place where you can go, you can eat Brazilian food, uh, there's Brazilian supermarkets, uh, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. So what do you miss most about Brazil? Um, I miss about Brazil, I miss going to the beach. I bet and you have the beautiful food. beaches. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do. Um, well, right now I miss my family because we, because of COVID, I was only able to see 
my mom and my brother, but my extended family, I miss them a lot. Yeah, and that's affected so many people. And I can only imagine in New York, um, you know, even students you might have who, you know, are here from other countries or who have parents in other countries. How, how directly were your students impacted by not being able to travel to other countries? Um, yeah, they were impacted because a lot of them have families that, are, that come from different countries. But, yeah, I, I can tell that they were impacted, too. They had to stay in New York. Uh, they complained to me, oh, I'm not going to see my family this holiday. Uh, Thanksgiving, you just, it's only going to be me and my parents. Yeah, my, my kids complained a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it impacted a lot of people. Sure. And you do have a unique opportunity, you know, to talk to these kids, maybe in a way that their parents don't, and share things with you. You know, what are just other general concerns you hear from your students? Well, my students are concerned that if they will forever have to wear a mask, and if next year, the school year that's coming up in September, they will come to the school five days a week, and if they will be able to play with their friends. Mm-hmm. And in a place like New York, which is such a big, competitive, cosmopolitan city, you know, so many kids are on the fast track from an early age. Like, you got to be in this school, go to this college, and, you know, their whole life set out. And even at, at that level where you teach, do you see much anxiety with the students where they're feeling like, oh, I've got to get ahead faster. Oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to fail. Um, not, not with the kids per se, because I think there's, they're very young. But I've had conversations with the, some parents about that. They already see a future for their kids, and they are already concerned. So there are families who decide to move a child from one school to another so that they can, you know, keep on going until they get to college. Yeah, there are concerns, but I would say mostly with the, coming from the parents. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like a lot's been changing, not just with COVID, but uh, parents homeschooling more or just wanting to control the flow of information or saying, hey, we want to go to private school, we want to be on the fast track, or some saying we don't want our kids to be in private school, we want them to mix with a bigger variety of people. You know, what are the trends that you think are going to be? Um, Well, the trends for the future will be a more diverse school. Diversity is something that's been um, a huge key in the classroom right now, and those families who are aiming for a specific universities, colleges in the future, they will make a move to a private school that they think that the, the learning, the teaching will be more targeted to that. Yes, that will happen. Mm-hmm. But other families will decide to keep their, ch- their children in a public school, the public school system, because of, because of the reality of the world and the diversity also. Well, what are your thoughts on homeschooling? Well, um, I thought, well, I was, I would say parents need to, if they decide to homeschool their children, their kids, they will have to get ready for that because it's not an easy job. 
it was not easy for teachers who are also, who are used to teaching, and it's a it's a different teaching perspective. And I would say that children need their social moments, and with homeschooling, it will be only focused on academics. And a child, a student needs the social part of it. Mm -hmm. How much do you think a parent should be directly involved in their children's education? And whether or not they work or stay home, but, you know, the bare minimum, say, helping them with homework or making sure they finish their homework, what's the bare minimum interaction you think a parent should have with their children's education? Yeah, uh, we strive for not for the bare minimum, but we strive for parents technically working along with the teachers, getting full involvement from the families, and this is what we expect, but this is not what what we get all the time. So I would say parents need to get involved by checking their homework, by sitting down with them, supporting them in what they need, um, checking the notes that come from school from the teacher, that, that's also very helpful, and checking back with the teachers, just asking questions, and that's what they're supposed to do every day. What's your biggest frustration with parents? I would say parents that demand a lot, but they don't do their part. They demand mm-hmm. a lot from the school and from the teacher, but they're not so help. Not, they're not helping at all as well. Mm-hmm. And it seems like one of the the most challenging parts is, you know, you're teaching, and you have specific subjects, but you're also, you know, helping development the student as a person. And and it seems like, you know, the line can be blurry, like you know. Some parents, oh, I just want you to teach them and leave everything else out. You know, it's my job to teach them about this. How do you navigate that? Because you're not just teaching subjects, but you're, you know, you're helping them develop as human beings. And what's the message you would want to tell parents about the importance of the other things you're teaching them? Um, That don't usually happen because there are moments in that teachers are much more than just teachers. Mm-hmm. We, we also, we are nurses, we are moms, we do everything for their children. And there are families, there are kids that I know that I see them for longer hours than they, usually, they actually see their parents at home. So when, that, when something that, like that comes up, say just keep yourself, just maintain your work as a teacher and I do the rest, this is something that doesn't usually happen, but if it does, I would say, I would tell the parent that our work has to be done together. We are a, a team supporting a child, so that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this is not the case with that many children, but you know, in society, we dump a lot on teachers you know, we are hoping all the parents are good to their kids, but sometimes maybe they work long hours and don't mm-hmm. get to spend as much time or get to know what's mm-hmm. happening in their lives. And you were saying, in some cases, you probably spend more time with the kids than they do. 
And they might be missing mm-hmm. out on cues like, oh, maybe their child is being bullied or depressed or, you know, has some irrational fear about something. You know, you're kind of attending to their children's emotional life a lot of the time. That is true. Um, teachers are always the first ones to notice some sort of change in behavior, uh, change in personality, and it's, uh, it is our job to talk to the parents and tell them that this is what we've been observing. Please do so at home. And there are, there are situations where the parents would tell us, no, this is, not, this is not my child, this is not what I see at home. But it is our job to keep them informed and tell them, oh, this is what I've been noticing about your child. Mm-hmm. Well, you're out on the front lines with them. So you're dealing with the kids, the parents who sometimes agree or not. I mean, do you feel supported by your bosses, you know, by your principal, by the other people? It's like so often the teachers, there's pressure on both sides. Do you feel the New York school district does a good job of supporting their teachers? It is, it is a work in progress, and I would say that things are much better now than, you know, five years ago when I started in New York City. I feel supported in my school. I feel supported by my principal, and she she's with us. She's one of us. She used to be a teacher as well, so she knows what happens in the classroom, and she will always advocate for the teacher first. What's the best way for a principal in the entire school district support to support you and your fellow teachers? What's the best way they can support you to do your job well? Uh, a lot of training. Teachers need training all the time. Things are always changing and shifting from one curriculum to another. And just just being with us, just training and also observing classes, uh, modeling for teachers when they are uh, new teachers, when they are novice teachers, come to the class and support them because what happens in the classroom, that's the real life, that's the real teaching. Mm-hmm. And have you taught long enough that you've seen one of your students go all the way up and graduate from high school? Not yet. Not yet, but no. I'm, I'm looking forward to that moment. <laughs> Isn't that one of the sad parts of teaching? You invest so much in to a child, and then at the end of the year, they're gone. Do you, do you sometimes wish you could know more about their progress after they leave your class? Well, uh, well, I'm a second grade teacher, so I often see my students until at least they leave for middle school. Uh, so I've been checking on them until they are at least in fifth grade, but it is, yeah. So I try to maintain a relationship with families, and there are students of mine who I taught maybe five years ago. They are in middle school now. I still get emails from the parents. Oh, they're doing, they're doing this well. Thank you so much for what you did. It, it, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Do you think in general we, we acknowledge teachers enough? <sighs> We're getting there. Uh, teachers need more support. Teachers need to be paid well. And teachers need more time. Um, I think the workload may be unbearable 
especially after COVID, especially after the pandemic. Um, I know there's a, a shortage of teachers in the country right now because it was a very challenging year. And I think parents now do acknowledge a lot more teachers than they know they actually feel like, oh my God, you guys do so much. Thank you for thank you for what you do, and this is rewarding. Don't you think some of these parents, who, you know, you were with their kids all day, and suddenly with COVID, they're with their kids all day. What what were some of the comments you got where they realized, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how how much work it took just to keep you know my child occupied all day. Mm-hmm. Also, all those conversations we would have with parents. So this is what I've been noticing about your child, and the parent would come back to us and say, oh, this is not what I see at home. Now the kids are home. Now they see what we're talking about. So it was a time that a lot of families, a lot of parents got to know their kids because they were at home with them. Mm-hmm. Well, since you've been teaching remotely and you know, even with kids going back to school, though, there probably will still be a certain element of remote teaching, you know, in a lot of situations. What do you think is the key for kids and parents to, you know, whether it's having a special place in their home with a computer without distraction, what, what do you see as the best way that a student can learn from home and not be distracted? Well, I always suggest that they have, like, a specific area in their house uh, when there are no distractions like TV or noise or anything like that. Um, There are families that have multiple children, and there are, you know, days that they have different schedules in school, but the interference would be a lot more with something that the teachers can't control. Uh, people talking at home, so the kids need to be left alone in their room or in their, you know, study area so that they can focus a lot more. This is something that we tell the parents. Mm -hmm. Well, even with remote learning, is attendance better? You would think so because it's, you know, easier to get to that computer from their bedroom. But uh, do people still find a way to cut class and not show up? Not really, not with young kids, not with elementary school. Uh, The school that I work at, we usually call the students right away. We take attendance immediately, very early on in the morning, and we have a system, our uh, attendance system, somebody in the school that's working from the building, they call the families right away. So attendance is pretty good at the moment. Mm Well, as we get ready to wrap up here, I'm just really curious since, you know, you're out there talking about teaching. I've read articles and interviews you've given. Do you want to get out in the world a little bit more and, you know, be an advocate for teachers? You know, what do you see doing outside of the classroom? Do you want to be more of an advocate in the future? Um, I would I say I would see myself being instructional coach in the future. This is something that I am looking forward to becoming. I am looking forward to becoming someone who will support teachers, new teachers in the classroom when they need support with curriculum and with the practical teaching. 
Mm-hmm. And do you want to maybe be on more advisory boards where you'll have more input into what the actual curriculum will be? Yes, yes. Uh, creating a curriculum, writing a curriculum from scratch, it, it is something that I, I am also interested in. And what's the career path to that? How, how do you get to that point where you have more input? Well, I went back to school last fall. Uh, I'm getting my second master's degree in leadership this time. So my graduation is scheduled to happen next spring. Mm -hmm. And on a school board, how much participation do teachers get on that? We participate in the, in the monthly meetings. So it is open to any teacher. So when they have a board meeting, the teachers are always invited to show up and, and participate. I've been to one or two, and they, they listen to the teacher because they are the ones who are creating the school, but they need to hear what the teacher has to say. Mm-hmm. And in a big, light, big city like New York, you know, at a certain point, everything gets political. Do you think you would ever want to be at the point of running for some kind of public office so you could use that office to advocate for teachers? Um, no, I don't see myself going into that direction. I still see myself working in the school, not directly with students anymore, but supporting teachers. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much freedom you have, you know, as a, as a uh, you know, in the public eye teaching, but have you ever thought of like doing a YouTube channel and just, you know, commenting on teaching in general? Or are you guys even allowed to do stuff like that? I'm actually planning on doing something like that starting in September, like a YouTube mm-hmm. channel, um, helping teaches how to lesson plan, uh, showing my classroom, not exactly the students, but showing my classroom how a classroom is run in New York City, what we do, how we implement the curriculum. Now we're going back into uh, five days in the week in the building. So this is something that I've been thinking about or an Instagram um, account. Mm-hmm. And it seems like other teachers would like that, not just for the teaching help, but just for some camaraderie just as a way to connect with other teachers, you know, about anything. Yeah, yeah, we need that connection. Uh, We need that connection, and a lot of teachers already do that. I, myself, Mm -hmm. am a YouTube watcher. I watch YouTube channels that are run by teachers, and also I also follow a lot of teachers on Instagram. Because I remember from my school, you know, there was always a teacher's lounge at school that they could go in and relax and have their own break and talk to other teachers. It just seems like with COVID, that got taken away from you. It wasn't just the students who were isolated, but you became isolated from other teachers. Yeah, we do. We do have a teacher's lounge. Um that hasn't been used in 2020, 2021, because we were not in the building, but it is a place that we eat lunch together in normal times, that we go there to relax. Um, It is a fun space for teachers. Yeah, we need that in the school also. 
Yeah, I mean, don't you need to unwind or, you know, talk to another teacher about something that only they would understand? Yeah, that's true. You know, everyone needs to blow off a little steam and say, oh, my goodness, you can't believe the morning I've had with these kids. That's true, yeah. <laughs> we do that often. We, it is a place to vent, too. Yeah, and even if the kids are good, you know, it's still stressful. You know, all work is stressful. Everyone needs to decompress. Yeah, it is very necessary. So what do you think is the most important thing that we should acknowledge about teachers' mental health this year, you know, the challenges they've had? Well, it's been a very challenging year to everyone. Um, we are very tired. We were. Um, we couldn't wait until the last day of school. And we are planning ahead already. And we really want to go back into the building and not working remotely and really see the kids, be with the kids all day. This is something that it will be very helpful to our mental health. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about the teacher's lounge, it just gave me a memory. And this is going to date me and, and make, make me seem old. But I remember when I was in high school in the oh, teacher's lounge, the teachers could actually smoke back there. Oh, no, that doesn't happen now. <laughs> smoking That's probably not a long-gone thing. <laughs> no, smoking is not allowed in the building. No, not at all. <laughs> Things have changed. Oh, my goodness, I feel old. Well, we're going to wrap up here now, but um, first I've enjoyed all this, and I think I'd like to close with you, especially, you know, directing this to parents, you know, of school-age children. And... It, it, it's a challenge to be a parent, but you have a very specific challenge. You know, you have a lot of responsibility, but not the same authority that a parent gets, which kind of sort of, you know, puts you in a bind. But since, you know, you do have this responsibility, you know, what's the one thing you would like to tell parents out there of how they can help you the most and just how you take, you know, very seriously this responsibility you have with their children every day? Uh, we take a lot of responsibility for the kids. Uh, we feel a very accountable for what they do in the class, and it's a shared responsibility with the families as well. And it's, a, it's something that we do together, families and teachers in the school. And what's the one thing they could do to help you the most? Uh, support their kids at home. We are not able to be with the kids all day, every day. So really sit down with them and support them. Mm -hmm. And when you start your YouTube channel this fall, uh, what are you going to call it? Uh, Ms. Bonfine's class. 